Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 21. It says this, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your kingdom comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them, uh, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. We are here. It is Holy Week. It's good to see you. Um, okay. Now, some people are so new to our church, get, believe it or not, they have never been here and been a part of the sunrise service. They don't even know that we do a sunrise service because they maybe joined us in the last couple years when we haven't been doing it. So I want to give a special invitation. If you just want, if you've always wanted to show up to church in your pajamas, <laughs> wanted to bring a sleeping bag and when the speaker got a little boring, you could just take a little nappy poo. <laughs> boom, sunrise service is for you. You got to come. It's going to be awesome. And maybe you have a friend that maybe has been a little bit more careful and worried about maybe, you know, getting sick. Well, being out at the beach with all the breeze, it's perfect. Friends who are maybe not that stoked about being in a church, a little freaked out by the church thing, invite them to the beach, sunrise service. Maybe someone who hasn't been to church in a while, gotten a little bit, you know, kind of gotten a little bit stuck on the couch, sunrise service. Come on now. Invite them out, get some donuts afterwards. Yeah, that sound good? Yes. I think it's good. All right, well, Sunrise Service is amazing. We've gotten up to 2,500 people showing up at the beach to worship and to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Now, that is a service. That would be fun. But whatever service you come to, it's going to be a blast. And speaking of Sunrise Services and crowds, um, I want to talk about crowds for a minute. Have you ever been in a huge crowd where you just felt like surrounded on every side by people, caught up in the excitement of a moment? Can you think of one? Maybe it was a mosh pit at a high school dance. Maybe it was Black Friday at Best Buy. <laughs> I was at a Cal Stanford game. My father-in-law was a Cal grad. We went up there. We flew up there just to go watch this Cal Stanford game. You know, everything was stacked against Cal, so we didn't go there with very high expectations. But lo and behold, 
Cal in the last minutes wins the game. Everyone's going crazy. I mean, it's packed with people, right? And it's just energy, the excitement. There's so much happening. People start rushing the field. We got to rush the field picture. Yeah, that's me right there in my younger days. No, it's not actually. I'm just joking. There's my wife back there with the, no, no, just joking. We're rushing the field with all these people. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a river of people where you just feel like you're caught up in the flow of this crowd and people are cheering and shouting and they start to climb the goalposts. And I've never seen this, but they ripped the goalposts down. Or the field goals, yeah. They ripped them down, hoisted them on their shoulders and started carrying it through the town. And there's me and my brother-in-law, we're marching through town. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing here, but it was so exciting, just caught in the crowd, caught in the moment. This whole scene that Jesus is in, writing in that we celebrate every year, is one of the few scenes that all four Gospels record. Every one of them talk about this moment when Jesus rides in, and they all talk about the crowd, the crowd, the crowd. Every Gospel talks about it. Verse 10, uh, Matthew says this, that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Everyone is going bonkers. This one lady was sharing with me after service, the first service, that she was so excited about Cal winning. Okay, now mind you, she, you know, she was a mom, she had kids that were at the game, but she was so excited, she lost control of herself, and she saw one of the Cal football players and literally jumped on him and wrapped her legs around him. <laughs> he's just standing there, this behemoth of a guy, and he's like, ma'am, can you let me go? <laughs> I think people were that excited about Jesus. They were losing their minds. And, you know, Matthew and the gospel writers, they want you to really hear the shouting, feel the energy, feel the expectation and excitement. And so they all record the things that people were shouting and saying. They were saying things like, Hosanna in the highest. People were filled with the highest expectations of what Jesus was about to do. Hosanna, it means salvation. So they are looking for this moment they've been waiting their whole life to happen. The next one, blessed is the king of Israel. When they see Jesus walking in, they have political, military expectations, expectations of deliverance. And as far as they're concerned, their biggest enemy is the government. And they're looking for Jesus to overthrow the government and to usher in the reign of God. And then thirdly, Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, Son of David is a messianic phrasing and it represents the pent-up powder keg of 400 years of expectation for the Messiah to come, to free them from their circumstances and to restore glory to Israel. Now, there's so much energy and expectancy. They're like, this is what we've been waiting for. And John, in chapter 12, even says this, that Jesus' enemies were so caught up in it that they said the whole world has gone after him. And that's what it felt like. To, to throw lighter fluid on this fire of excitement, rumors started spreading about how Jesus had raised someone from the dead. Now that will get you fired up. I remember one time we prayed for a student in one of our gatherings to be healed of an ovarian tumor. She was healed, went to the doctor, and before surgery, the doctor said, I don't know how to explain it, but you're healed. Students started spreading word that Jesus had shown up and was healing people. That next meeting that we had, I'll tell you, it was packed. It was a room that held 
550 students, and it was generally three quarters full. This day, this night, it was like 650 students, standing room only, people sitting in the aisles. It was packed to the gills, and they were not there to hear me preach. (laughs) They wanted to see Jesus move and work, and there was that kind of expectancy. Stories of Jesus' miraculous healings were flowing through the crowd, but get this, Despite all the excitement, all the fanfare in just five days, five days, everybody, Jesus is going to be arrested. The same crowd that is shouting Hosanna is going to mock him as a fake king. They're going to nail a sign to his cross that says Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, as a, as a mockery and a, to make fun of this claim that everybody is caught up in right now. He's going to go from being a king to a criminal in five days. How in the world does it get to that? How do things change so fast? I mean, it's like two days ago. Was it not 90 degrees? It was 90 degrees. I was at the beach on Friday down there at Grandview. Oh, it was amazing. What happened today? It's like, and just like that, like our weather All that excitement and expectancy turned to disillusionment and disappointment and then crucifixion. But see, it's in today's passage, we're gonna get a passage, we're gonna get a little clue in how that happened. Like, how did this happen? I mean, are people really that fickle? Are we really that fickle? How did it go from king to criminal. In today's passage, we're going to see how as soon as Jesus shows up and begins exercising his authority in ways that people didn't expect, people start having second thoughts about whether or not they really want Jesus as their king. That's what happens. And that's what we're going to see in today's passage. That accepting Jesus as king of our life means embracing his authority to cleanse us and to heal us. That's what we're going to talk about. The way that Jesus, when we let him into our life, brings authority into our life to cleanse us and heal us. Let's start with the first. The way that he brings authority to cleanse you and me. Here we go. Let's rewind the videotape for a moment. Let's rewind it to verse 12. Look at this moment again with me. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling the doves. Right there, Jesus cleanses the temple, and a lot of commentators have different theories about why he's doing this. Let me give you a few. Number one, they, 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 they suspect that these guys were overcharging people for these animals that were used for sacrifice rituals at the temple. And so they were taking advantage of these people and making a profit where they should not have been. Secondly, some people think that actually what was going on was that uh, Jesus was showing them that you no longer need the sacrifice system anymore, that he is coming as the final and ultimate sacrifice. Everything is changing. That's why he does it. Others think that 
When he says, you've made it a den of robbers, he's quoting Jeremiah chapter 7, and what he's really saying is, hey, you guys, every day, six days a week, you do whatever you want, and then on Sunday you come here to feel better about yourself. Your worship is just lip service. You're not really living it out, because six days a week you're doing whatever you want, and he's accusing them of you go out and you rob and you live for yourself, and then you come here and you put your trust in a ritual and not in me, because if you trusted me, you'd be taking me with you into every part of your life. Well, that's what the scholars think. You know, those are some reasonable things, but one thing can be certain that the religious leaders, when Jesus shows up, you know, with all the crowds celebrating, they are offended and angry about what he does right here. And most scholars agree, this is in the end what gets him killed. Look at this, verse 15, it says, they were indignant. Why? Why are they mad? Why are they so upset when Jesus comes? How can they go from, here he comes, the whole world's gone after him, and now they're upset? Well, Mark's gospel gives us an insight. Chapter 11, verse 28, look what Mark says. And who gave you authority to do this? Right there. Come on. Have you ever felt like that about God? ever felt like, man, God, really? Do you have that authority in my life? Have you ever felt like that about anybody in your life? A moment where you're like, what? What gives you the authority? Come on now, any teens in the room? Come on now, you got some parents? Anyone got a parent in the house? It's like, come on, mom, dad. I remember when I first came home from college, I had been going out all night with my friends and my mom's like, when are you gonna be home? You gonna be home by 11? I'm like, are you kidding me? I just spent like four months, you know, false quarter, like doing whatever I want. Now you want to have authority over my schedule? You're out of your mind. It reminds me of the first week coming home from my wedding. Jesus shows up, starts cleansing the temple. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. First day I came, you know, first week of marriage. Oh, the wedding was spectacular. And then my wife's like, we need to clean this place up. What? You can't leave your clothes all over the house anymore. And maybe you've heard me share this. On Saturday morning, we're cleaning the bathrooms. I'm like, what? I don't know about this authority. Fortunately, I submitted (laughs) for everybody. But it's this idea where maybe you can relate to these guys. In all seriousness, maybe you can relate to struggling with authority. Because Jesus is assuming the right to tell them how the temple should be used. And he's not just telling them, he's doing something about it. He's not just making a suggestion like, hey, I think you should put the couch over here. Hey, I think you should paint the walls a different color. Hey, it's like he is, you invite Jesus over for dinner. Next thing you know, he is tearing down your partition wall. He is throwing your furniture out the back window. It's like, excuse me, can you imagine someone coming over and rearranging your furniture? Come on now. That might, huh? Uh, Well, that's what Jesus is doing. When Jesus comes into the temple to cleanse it, see the temple, it represents the way that Jesus comes into our life. That's why we have to look at this passage really carefully and look at how God comes into our life. because the temple represents you and me. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 3.16. 
Don't you know, Paul writes, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Now, maybe you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. You're like, what does that even mean? Well, you see, the temple was a physical place where the presence of God would show up. It was a way of inviting people and being hospitable so that the entire world could come and meet with God and bring their prayers and their needs and their worship is meant to be a place of encountering and experiencing God. And what Jesus is saying that through his life and what he's about to do this week, what we're remembering is he is sacred as the temple is. The world's not going to need a temple anymore because you are going to be that temple and God's presence is going to begin to live within you in a way that is more sacred, more significant than it ever was in that physical building because you are where God has always wanted to be in your heart, living with you. Now, you've got to understand this. We, if you don't know this, as a, you're not really a believer and you're just here checking this thing out, you've got to understand something that sets Christianity apart from all other religions. We believe that when you accept Jesus as the leader of your life, you're cleansed of your sin Everything that could keep God out of your life is removed. And God's spirit himself comes and lives inside of you. That as a human being, you are created to be the dwelling place of God. And that is the highest elevating of human dignity that you could ever have. That's what Jesus is talking about. And that's why we have to take seriously how he comes to the temple because you are his temple. And he wants to cleanse your life because he wants to live with you. But first, he's got to pick up some of your dirty laundry everywhere. Come on now, come on. The religious leaders in this scene are easy to blow off, but let's just for a moment look at them and understand that they represent a part of us too. They represent that part of us that is easily and maybe quickly offended when Jesus tries to tell us what our lives are really meant to be like. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to a moment when you've resisted God's authority, when you felt like you were reading God's word or you heard some goofball like me preaching about God's truth and it chafed and rubbed up against how you saw the world, how you viewed your life, your, how you defined your identity, and it caused a crisis for you. It caused a problem. I remember when I was in college and my mentor, you know, I was part of InterVarsity and this staff worker pulled me aside and sat me down over coffee and said, hey, have you ever thought about what it means to follow Jesus in the way you date women. I looked at him like a deer in headlights. He might as well have been speaking Greek to me. I was like, no, never. No, I mean like literally never. Not even for a second have I wondered where Jesus is in my dating life. Man, that's actually makes me a little uncomfortable. Feels a little weird. And I got to tell you in this moment, it made me feel uncomfortable, not because this guy didn't have trust with me. I'd really trust this guy. I knew this guy. We were buddies. He was a mentor, but it was an area of my personal life that I was like, that's weird. Why would God want to talk to me? It's like, you know, it's like a parent trying to talk to their kids about the birds and the bees. Like, no, mom and dad, I'm fine. I'll get it from school. You know, please, no. It felt too personal. I mean, really? Jesus wants to talk to me about my dating life? Yeah. We all got these areas. So I want to list out a few, okay? A few of these areas where maybe we resist and get a little uncomfortable because where he wants to have authority in our life is where he wants 
as we're going to see, he wants to bring healing to us. But look at this. Let's go through this list. I want to put up a couple areas to get your brains thinking. Where maybe are you tempted to resist his authority? To maybe say, I'm just going to ignore God's word there. I'm going to write it off over here because I can just do without God in this area of my life. Maybe it's in your thought life. You know, maybe there's some, maybe in your, you get, you get, you get worries. You got some things you're worried about and you know, you've, you feel entitled to hold on to that worry and someone comes along and wants to encourage you. Hey, can we pray together? You're like, no, 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 no. Hey, I worked hard to get this worry going. I am not giving that up so easily. And we feel a little bit grabby about our worries. We have good reason to be worried. You ever been like that? Yeah, come on now. Yeah, that's right. I've been there. We get into our thought life and Jesus wants to have authority over our worries, our fears, the things we put our focus on in our life. And say, this is what God's word says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And that isn't a condemnation when you do worry. It's an invitation that there's no worry in your life that has the right to hold on to you. And that instead, by coming to God and bringing to God in prayer, there is a peace. There is a provision for you that you could never get to by yourself. But it's sometimes hard to let go, isn't it? Maybe it's in our thought life, the way we handle social media. Look at what Philippians 4.8 says. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable. Sometimes we let our minds drift at things on social media. They are not honorable. They're not pure. They're not elevating our spirit. It's just, it's just wasting time. You know, maybe it's in our, the way we handle alcohol. Maybe it's in our finances, maybe even in sexuality. I was talking about the dating, my dating life. Maybe it's in the area of sexual identity or purity. Because you read this and you go, come on, dude, this is 2,000 years old. How could this have anything relevant to say to me today in 2022? Because nobody was dealing with sexual temptation, you know, back in Jesus' day. They were all busy wearing togas and had boring lives. <laughs> they were too busy. They didn't have, you know, internet. They didn't have that stuff. Well, you know what? They did. And this is still just as relevant. And allowing God's word to have authority in your life is allowing Jesus to have authority in your life. The degree to which you minimize the authority, the inspiration, and reliability of God's word in your life, you are relegating and minimizing the authority of Jesus Christ in your life. He's given you his word, a light to your path, a lamp to your feet. So where is it for you? Come on. Where is it going on for you? Where is it tough? Is there an area that whenever it comes up, you kind of chafe like me in my dating life? Come on, Jesus. You don't want to have anything to do with that. All right. Bring that with you into this next point, because I think sometimes we resist God's authority, because we've given authority a bad rap, it feels like authority is nothing but a big killjoy taking away our freedom to have the absolute most fun that we could have. It's that authority is a way of limiting and oppressing the full expression of our identity and our true self when God's authority has the absolute opposite effect. Listen, let's go into this next point. That Jesus claims authority to cleanse us of the things that get in the way of our obedience in order to give us the most absolutely boring, sad life we could imagine. <laughs> Not even, but it feels like that. 
Listen to this. Verse 14, this is why. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. So this is what Jesus did. He walks in, he sees all this buying and selling, all this religious ritual and activity. He clears the decks, he's flipping tables. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if I just got so pumped right now, I grabbed this podium and just like chucked it into the stage, just like whipped it around and threw it. You know, you'd be like, I'm out of here. That guy is way too intense. Wouldn't you be a little intimidated? So let me ask you a question. How in the world did the most vulnerable people in that space feel safe to go to Jesus after he'd just done that? Okay, that's what this is saying right here. The people that felt the most vulnerable, the people that had probably been judged the most, people who had been at the negative end of the religious stick, maybe more than anybody else, because if you're sick, if you're lame in the temple, you cannot go into the more holy places because you're viewed as somehow being cursed by God. And it's those people that felt the most safe to go to Jesus. How is Jesus able to do that? How can he be so strong and powerful and yet so safe and accessible to the most vulnerable people who are more likely to feel more easily judged than anybody else in that space, and yet that is the heart of God. And that's because at the heart of God is a marshmallow. You ever had those rad chocolate candies or hard chocolate on the outside? When you get to the middle, it's that soft marshmallow. I love those chocolates. <laughs> that spongy, soft marshmallow. We're going to talk about that. Hold on to spongy. That was a total ADD moment, but hold on to it. We'll make it work. But what you find is something not what you expected. You find this heart to heal. Jesus claims authority to cleanse your life so that he can heal you. Because whatever you let him have authority over, Listen, this is really carefully. Whatever you let Jesus have authority over in your life, he is going to heal, he is going to renew, and he is going to bring out the absolute best outcome in that area of your life than you could ever imagine. I just wish I could take my heart and the experience that I've had with God and just put it right into you so you would just know that is absolutely true. Where you're struggling to trust his authority is where God is going to do his greatest work for you. That's why there's a battle in your life for that area. And there is. What is, how does Jesus use his authority? I want to ask that question because I think this gets to why it's hard to accept God's authority. Some of us have had bad experiences with authority. Anyone here ever have a bad experience with authority? The people we were supposed to trust to look after us, to take care of us, actually abused it and used it against us. In some cases, there have been pastors, there have been parents, there have been bosses, there have been people in our life, friends that we trusted with special information, with confidential information that used it against us, and people that had authority in our life 
turned on us and betrayed us and have left us jaded, and that has happened with the church. That has happened with the church. You, you, can, you can read church history and see the history of people who have been abused at the church. And I think what happens along the way is we begin to distrust all authority because we've experienced its abuses. And we only know authority as something that's got some, it wants to take away from us rather than an authority that actually wants to give more than we could ever give ourselves. That is God's authority. Listen, Jesus uses his authority in what way? When you look at Jesus and he's clearing the tables, he's throwing the podiums out, how does Jesus use his authority? How would you describe it? Go ahead and take a shot at it. Raise a hand. I want to hear what you think. I won't make you turn to a neighbor and talk, eh? Huh? <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to freak you out. I've been hearing the news. I've been hearing the chatter. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm listening. Yeah, so. Raise a hand. Who wants to raise a hand and share? Well, how do you see Jesus using authority in this moment? Verse 14, right? How is he? Yeah, back there. He uses his authority to love. As a parent, it is the most challenging thing to use your authority as a parent to love. And sometimes hasn't every parent found themselves in a moment regretting how they use their authority. Like, oh, where you feel like your anger outstripped your love. Jesus never loses his temper. It looks like it here, but it's intentional. It's deliberate. And you know it is because the people that are vulnerable are not afraid of him. They feel like they can still go to him. Love. He uses it to love. What else? Anybody else? How, yeah, in the back. Yep. He used it to see them. He used it to? See them. To see them. He used, yeah, that's, that's, I haven't heard that one yet. Think about this. He used his authority to clear the deck so the people who God really wanted to reach could come out into the open and get what they needed from God. Now that is good. Come on now. He uses, it'd be a great conversation to have after service with family and friends. Like, how do you see Jesus using his authority? Let me just name a few. He uses his authority to heal, to renew, and to restore, period, done. That's how he uses it. And that's because when you get to the core of God, what do you get? Do you get a fiery cauldron of judgment ready to burn your face off because you looked at that person wrong and you didn't go to church last weekend and you were just doing your little fun thing when you should have, come on now. When you get to the heart of God, it's a big marshmallow. Listen, listen, let me explain. Let me explain. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Let's stand up. Let's read this together. This is such a great scripture. You got to just, I want you, if you don't have enough room in your attention span for all I've said, then just delete it all. Remember this verse. It's so good. Just let's read this together out loud. You ready? Okay, ready? Here we go. Come to me, all of you who are perfect and have it all together. <laughs> Let's start over. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. All right. Hold on there. Hold on. Stay standing. Where do you see his authority in this passage? Where do you see the authority in this text? Right here. Where is it? Yeah, right here, raise your hand, yeah. Um, 
Yes. His authority is humble. It's gentle at heart. But listen, where do you see the authority to call our life to his word, to his truth? Look at right here. Take my yoke upon you. Right there. Take my yoke upon you. Take my truth upon you. Take my perspective about that person upon you. Take my view on the matter upon you. Take my identity for you upon you. Take my word upon your life. And you know, a yoke was this wooden sort of contraption that held two ox together and they'd be locked together. And that's such a powerful idea because Jesus said, come under my authority and be yoked to me so that my life is your life. My perspective is your perspective. The things that make me angry make you angry. The things that breaks my heart breaks your heart. Take my yoke upon you. Take my truth. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That is a disciple of Jesus. Everything else is cultural Christianity. And look, some of us, I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking how some of us are like these religious leaders. You've been raised your whole life in it, but you've never come under the yoke of his authority. You are doing it on your own, your way. And you're at a point in your life where you have to decide, maybe you grew up with parents who raised you to follow Jesus, but you've never given him authority over the areas of your life that he, that matter most, that he wants in your life. Because where you give him authority, where you let him teach you, that is where you're going to have his peace. That is where he's going to give you his peace because by coming under his authority, he can give you his life and with his life, his peace, his grace, his eternal future, his identity. You cannot have one without the other. I came under this yoke right here. You can't see this. It's a ring. It's my wedding ring. And it is a yoke. Come on now. I came under this yoke. I bound myself to this woman and the reward, I get her love for the rest of my life. When you come under the yoke of God and his authority, you get his love, his grace, his truth, his peace. Come on, that's the authority of God. Grab a seat. I want to invite the band to come out, and I say it's like a marshmallow because at the center of God is this gentle spirit. What does he say? I am gentle and humble. It's the only place in all the New Testament where Jesus describes his own heart. Do you know that? The one place that Jesus gets a chance to say what his heart is like is it's gentle and humble. And why? Because his heart is like a sponge because it's a sponge that's going to transform your life and free you, not a rock. He comes in strong, but he's not a rock. He is a sponge. Let's go to the sponge imagery. You know, in the old days, they used to stone people when they were mad at them. 
They didn't sponge, or stone them with sponges. They stoned them with rocks. Why does a sponge need to be soft and squishy? Huh? So it can absorb. The way that Jesus used his authority and power was not to force you into obedience. It was to absorb the consequences of your disobedience into himself to demonstrate his love for you in a way that would win your heart, change you forever. Listen to these words as we go into this song. He personally carried the load of our sins in his body when he died on the cross. The cross is where Jesus literally absorbed your fears, your doubts, your rebellious spirit, your addictions, your shame, your failures. He just, like, he didn't come and go, you blew it, and if you would just own it, then you'll feel bad enough and you'll stop blowing it. He showed up and he's like, you blew it. I'm absorbing it. I'm taking it because I love you. And if you will trust me, if you'll trust my leadership in your life, I'm going to set you free. He died on the cross so that we can be finished with sin and live a good life from now on. The life we were meant to live for his wounds have healed us. Not his judgment or condemnation. Get this, his wounds healed you because in his body he absorbed the consequence of your sin. So you can be set free. that the devil ever convinced humanity of was was that we need to find our freedom apart from God rather than find our freedom in God. And I think that for a lot of us, we spend our lives or get caught up in moments of our life where we're doing just that, trying to find our freedom apart from God. Like, apart from his word, apart from his truth, apart from his guidance and direction in our life. But when you submit to the authority of God and you allow him to cleanse your life, he does it to heal us, to restore us, to restore us to our true place of dignity as sons and daughters of God. And that comes to every person who's willing to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior. You are all, every human being is made in God's image, but not every human being is a son and daughter. To be a son and daughter, you have to accept his son and his blood for you, to forgive you, to cleanse you, to be brought into the family of God. And God made a way so that anybody and everybody who wants to be in relationship with him who wants to be in his family could be a part of that family. And it's just by surrendering your life to him 
And it's not surrendering your life to just a good feeling or to a church service once in a while. It's your life. It's allowing his authority to guide and instruct every part of us. And where you submit to his authority is where he's going to heal you, renew you, and he is going to transform you. Maybe some of us have just lost touch with that authority in our life. We've stopped trusting his word. Maybe there's been abuse of leadership in our life and we've resisted trusting God's authority out of fear that he's going to abuse us with it. Maybe we've never submitted ourselves to the authority of God in this morning. You want to accept Jesus as the king of your life. If you fall into those categories and you want to renew God's authority in you and submit to him as king, I just want to invite you to do something we like to do here at church. We like to respond to what we hear, not just hear it, but respond. Do something with it. And if that's you, I want to invite you to raise your hand. And by raising your hand, you're saying, God, I need you in my life. I want to submit my life to your authority so that you can bring healing into my life. And if that's you, I want to encourage you, raise your hand wherever you're standing right now. I see you, girl. I see you guys in the back. I see you guys right over there. I see you. I see you. I see you, brother. I see you guys. I see you in the back. I see you right there in the middle. Yeah, bro, I got you. I see you way back there. Yep, yep. I... Yeah, yeah, I got you, I got you, I got you. Come on, I see you guys up here in the front. Yes, I see you. I see you, my man. What's up, Lars? Now, this is a call for not just people who are not yet believers, but for believers. Because even believers, as believers, we need to renew our trust and confidence in God's authority in our life because the enemy in the world wants to get us to question and doubt it at every turn. So if you prayed that, if you raise your hand, put your hands out for a moment and let's pray. Pray with me out loud these words. Jesus, you are my king. And I submit myself. I surrender myself to your leadership. I confess that you died on the cross for me. You took my sin and absorbed it so that I could be set free. I renew today my trust in your truth, in your word, in your leadership, in your guidance. I just pause if there's an area where you need God's guidance. You need him and you need his authority to show you the way. Why don't you just lift up that prayer to God in your heart right now? Take a moment. Where do you need God's authority and leadership? I bless you in the name of Jesus. May you be filled with the Holy Spirit. May your sins be forgiven in Jesus' name. May obstacles be removed. May shame be absorbed. May failures be forgotten. Failures that you have committed, failures committed against you, may they be relieved. And may you be renewed in the Holy Spirit with the presence of God to go out this week and shine with the presence of God. May God renew you right now, your body, 
your thoughts, your relationships. For he is risen, and you are risen with him. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, my friends. Now, you're free to leave and go out and invite someone to Easter. God bless you guys.